Blog Talk Radio. Take out one of the greatest of all time. That's right, Christopher Wallace, aka Notorious B.I.G., aka B, aka Biggie Smalls, aka Frank White, aka Frank Needy, whatever name you want to call. And you're welcome to call in at 646-668-2455. I'm sorry, 2453. I need to have glasses, I guess. Anyhow, the discussion today is the life of Notorious B.I.G. and how hip-hop game has changed since Christopher Wallace left this earth on March 9th, 1997, a year before that. Less than a year before that, they took away Tupac Amaru Shakur as well. And you can't talk about one without talking about the other. So, therefore, if you want to call in and talk about your love for Pac and how the beef was fucked up or how you thought the beef was cool or how you thought the beef helped music, which I don't believe it did, However, it's up to you. Again, give me a call at 646-668-2453. My Twitter page is up and running at Ugandi Watergate. So I'm not sure if I have many callers tonight because it's Sunday, and I don't have much promotion with this today. So um, either way, the show will be recorded, and it should be up on YouTube as well, and also it should be up on iTunes tomorrow as well. Yes, believe it or not, iTunes. However, I'm going to give you my personal experience with uh, the world of Notorious B.I.G. circa um, 1996, 1997. Um, 1997, I was, what, 23 years old, still you just really don't know if they're going to live to see the day of tomorrow or the next day, rather. They're here today, gone tomorrow. And that's exactly what happened with uh, Notorious B.I.G., Tupac, and even Jam Master J, Eazy-E, even though we knew he had AIDS. That's a different topic for a different day. Um, Ricky Todd from Lost Boys, uh, Old Dirty Bastard, ODB, a.k.a. Baby Jesus, or Sweet Baby Jesus, or Dirk McGurk, whatever. You know, we almost lost... Um, we almost lost Beanie Siegel about a couple of months ago when he was shot, and um, he made it. He was shot before or shot at, and he still made it, but he doesn't want to talk about who did it. He wants to keep his mouth closed, who he think did it, so that's kind of suspicious there, too, but we've lost a lot of people. Left Eye, Lisa Lopez, Aaliyah, you know, tragically, one in a tragic car accident, the other in a, um, in a plane crash. But, um, you know, it's really sad because if you – I'm a history person. I've always have been 
history was a part of my major in college. I was always into history since I was very young. So I look at everything in a circus sense. And uh, I look at everything more so from a uh, from a memory lane, uh, down memory lane type of uh, uh, situation or stance or, you know, and I I think back. I listen to them. I go and I get a little drunk every night. And I might smoke me a little something or whatever, and I'll go back and watch old videos of um, of Biggie and Pac, especially Biggie because he's one of my favorite rappers, obviously. But um, also with um, I look at the video um, by the Brat. I'm gonna give it to you. It was actually the remix. And that this mansion and and see Light picks up the phone and call her up. Isn't that something too? Lesbian or future lesbian on the phone. And then you see Biggie and Buster Rock. I think I think Buster's gonna get Biggie, J D Jermaine Dupree, Mary J Blige, Total Who's who? Hip hop at the time, Red Man. I think Method was in the video. Um, you think back, wow, you know that was in the nineties. That was before the internet. That's before the internet even um, took place. Well, it, the internet was there, but of course we didn't have the social media and things like that. Someone's calling my phone. Probably my son. My son, I think it is. But um, however, you look back and go, wow, that was good music, you know. The music was great. It was fresh. It was different. Everybody was coming up. Around the time of 93, 94, 95, when it was just starting to really take off that little grade, that middle area where it not only ruled the airwaves, but also everybody was cool. You know, this is before the days of Jay-Z and uh, that whole crowd and Rick Ross and everybody else and even Master P and everybody else. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Come in. It is what it is. And um, two of the greatest are gone. And in March 9th, you know, out of all the people that we have lost through those years, you know, that was those two stand out. You know, as I mentioned, Freaky Ta, as I mentioned, um, ODB, Jam Master J, and even DJ Screw and others, these are people who were masters of their craft. And... Um, they're gone, but those two in particular, you can't talk about Biggie without talking about Pac and vice versa. And you're never really going to have a true, honest debate on who's the greatest. And, and, and neither one of them, I could say, are the greatest, probably one of the greatest, but you can think of your personal, one of your personal greatest. But I just can't foresee someone actually sitting down to say who's better than the two. To me, I think that destroys the whole um, love of hip-hop. You know, not only love of hip hop, but just hip hop itself. You know, divide two coasts. You know, East Coast, West Coast, hit the Midwest in the middle. You know, back then, if I could say correctly, you know, um, everybody in the Midwest was pop. Everybody in the South was pop. West Coast pop. East Coast Biggie. Biggie had a little infiltration here and there. Florida was pretty much um, in between. And uh, within this hour and a half broadcast, I want you all to call in and I want you all to tell me your biggest um, beef with uh, Biggie or your love for him or hate for him or what have you. And, again, bring in Pac. Talk about the fact that whose side you were on at the time and why you chose that particular side. So, again, the number is area code 646 668 
2453. I'm New Gandhi Watergate, your host. I'm going to take a small intermission just for a moment just to make sure all my uh, the sound and all that stuff is correct. Make sure that everyone on Twitter, Facebook, Blog Talk Radio, Tumblr, and iTunes, whatever, can hear me correctly even after the, uh, the recording of the broadcast takes place. So um, give me a call. This is not this is the Gandhi Watergate. I'll be back shortly. My mind right. I had to leave that hole alone to get my mind right. I had to leave that hole alone to get my mind right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to leave that hole alone to get my mind right. I had to come up on a check to get my mind right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
think a lot of folks don't realize how serious this beef really was. And I know you say, what about Biggie himself and this or that and the other, but I have to, you know, i got to basically um, talk about that because it, unfortunately it falls hand in hand. You know understand what I'm saying? So, but I'm going to switch up and get away from the beef for a minute. So, but the first time I heard of Biggie was obviously the bullshitting party, you know, from the Who's the Man soundtrack. And I only heard it once. And I believe it was in the movie, either in the movie or someone had let me hear it from the One of the two. I know a good friend of mine had a soundtrack, which was actually a pretty good soundtrack. And I didn't know who Biggie was at the time. You know what I mean? All of Oh, I think it said Biggie Smalls in there. I don't think he even said Notorious B.I.G. at the time because of the fact that, because of the movie, let's do it again. Uh, the character's name was Biggie Smalls, and I think that they attempted to sue uh, Christopher Wallace and or Bad Boy, what have you, for using the name. Not, as a matter of fact, I don't even think Bad Boy was even, had even started as a label yet. And if it was in the mind, if it was if it were in the works, I think it was around the time of... Uh, Puffy got fired from uh, Uptown. I'm not sure. Anyway, but that was the first time. I, I, I did hear the song at the time of its release, uh, or around the time of the release of the soundtrack. Now, the very the, the very first time, I say the very first time, meaning that the official first time I heard Biggie was, of course, on the Real Love soundtrack. Uh, I mean, Real Love remix. And I think Puffy did that, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. At least he gets credit for it. You know, he said towards the end, peace out to Brooklyn, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't know who this dude was. I just knew the remix was all right. And I wasn't really a big fan of Mary J. Blige at the time. I bought the album. And I, 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 what's the full one? I bought it. Um, I bought it, and I, I, I fucked with it every now and then. You know, it really wasn't my, my cup of tea. But it was all right. It was kind of like Chronic. You know, Chronic was not my, it's not even in my top 30 favorite albums in in 30 albums, I've heard a lot of albums. And it's not even my top, I would say top 20. It's not even my top 20. And, but it's one of those albums you had to buy because everybody had it. You know, if you, especially if you were hanging out with a chick, you know, all the chicks around that time were becoming rebellious. The Chronic was out. Mary J. Blige album was out. The Boots. You know, um, all of that. And, um, and they had the, the bad girl gear, the leather and all of that. And as I mentioned about the chronic and all that bullshit, now to this day, I listen to the chronic. I can listen to like three songs, but all the chicks love it. It, it kind of surprised me because of the fact that so many chicks were listening to this vulgar shit and love it, kind of like NWA, and they fell in love with it. It made them horny. <laughs> yes, shit like that, believe it or not, does make chicks horny, I guess. But they loved it. You know, the whole bad boy image, and I'm not talking about the label, I'm talking about as far as chronic smoking, pants, sagging, gun token, whatever, which leads me back to B.I.G. because, you know, B.I.G. was a smooth motherfucker. He was smooth. He was uh, charismatic like a motherfucker. And his lyrics were on point. And he spoke with a lisp. It's hard to pull that shit off. Eric Sermon barely pulled that shit off. But he was a big, fat, fly motherfucker with, with skills, and he knew how to work his fashion and, and, his, and his swagger. You know, Heavy D, may he rest in peace, he didn't have that kind of swagger like Biggie had. You know, he didn't. And then Heavy D didn't talk about the shit that Biggie did. And if he did, he talked about it after Biggie had come out. You know, talking about drinking this and drinking that. Matter of fact, Heavy D had a song called Don't Cuss. 
which everybody's saying, well, yo, you know, that was a hot song. No, I thought it was a horrible song. You know, because I'm like, hey, fuck it. If they want to cuss on the record, let them. If there's a kid, they don't have to listen to it. But now I think about it, a lot of that shit now really fucked up our community as black people. And now, Ready to Die, it was violent as fuck. It was misogynistic. It was over sex. But guess what? It's nothing like the shit you hear these days. And even then, back then, we knew that this shit was fictional. And even if some of the shit was, re- was reality-based, we all knew this motherfucker wasn't doing it again. He wasn't doing it. You didn't catch Biggie out there in staircases and shit in Brooklyn after he got his record deal and shit. Well, I think he did go to jail. Didn't he? Mistaken, he just got his deal. Or before he got his deal. No. D-Rock went to prison for him. So he could, you know, get his shit together. But after that, you didn't see Biggie in staircases out there slacking motherfuckers and shit like that. You didn't see him out there still selling weed and still talking about traffic. Yeah, he talked about, you know, in his second album, that he didn't even get to live to see released. Like as a death, he talked about shooting and, you know, all this other bullshit and sleeping with dudes' wives and shit. And just that, I think that was kind of true, I think. But anyway, but as far as, you know, you don't see him out there doing that kind of shit. So I come in here for that. Pac on the other hand, you know, Pac was out there. You know what I mean? He was slapping motherfuckers. He was at the proving point trying to, what have you. But, I, you know, I'm not trashing dudes like that, but. He was actually living the life he was talking about. The only part of his life that he really wasn't, that he talked about, the only thing he talked about that he really wasn't living, and I don't know if it was because of the fact that, um, I was because of the fact that, you know, he, the record label wouldn't let him talk much more about it, or if it just wasn't cool, you know, or what have you, or just, you know, maybe it was an agenda there, but. He, when he talked to him in his interviews, except for a couple of times he wanted to talk about this and Dre and shit, he actually had some serious points. Talking about talk, talking about starting political parties and things like that. So much as told him, yo, man, it's not going to work. Not that it's not going to fly, you know. But, you know, plus, you know, it's, it's, the agenda is cool, but it's, you know, the high ups don't want to see that. He, he didn't live that. He didn't live it. He talked about it sometime, but he didn't live it. But he lived the gangster shit every now and then. Slapping up folks and shit, man, you know, talking shit, beefing, you know, wearing a bulletproof vest. Biggie never did that. Biggie never had to do that. At least I don't think. Maybe he, well, he did know he had to do but I guess maybe he just didn't. Maybe he just didn't take the, the violence seriously. But that was a very violent time at the time. You're talking about what pissed me off about that era. More than any fucking thing else, what pissed me off about that era was the fact that here you had, you had a rebirth of hip-hop. You had, you know, I mentioned the chronic and all that bullshit. You still had West Coast artists like Farside that was making, you know, Farside, Dale the Funky Homo Safety, and the, the Hieroglyphics. I'm not a fan of Ice Cube, but he was still doing his thing to a degree. Cypress Hill was still relevant around the time. You know, the East Coast, you had, you know, was coming back. You had Wu-Tang. You had, of course, you had the branch off artists like Raekwon, and you had uh, ODB, Meth. Redman, the Redman and Meth Man got together. You still had EPMD that was still doing anything in the early part of the 90s. Tribe Called Quest was still hanging on a little bit. You know, that, the West, and in the Midwest, you had Bone that started, you know, that was make, started making noise around 94, 95, well, particularly 94, then 95. Junior Mafia, Biggie's group, you know, Texas was starting to get even more relevant than it had been in the past. You know, it was really starting to, you know, to take off. It was a hip-hop utopia. People were getting paid. Even BET was still what was what BET was supposed to be in the first place. Then later on, it took a dark turn. You know, after the death of Biggie, you had, of course, DMX, Redman, Method Man was still cool. Of course, Jay-Z, Master P had made a big impact. 
you know, cash money was around the corner. They just started to take a real dark turn. But back when, when Biggie was alive, man, it was, oh, man, I was going to school in Atlanta at the time. It was like Atlanta was coming up. Everybody was coming to Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta was big back then. To me, I think as far as Michigan, Atlanta was bigger than it is now. Because even though, and I have, mentioned, I have to mention Outkast too, but, and Goody Mob. But before that, you know, I mean, after that, it went to shit. But anyway, but I think Atlanta was bigger back then. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. This is before, even though Charlotte always had CIAA for a while and all the other kind of bullshit. But around the time Biggie was alive, Atlanta was the hot spot. It was truly the hot spot. Now Atlanta's a hot spot. It's just Atlanta. Oh, we're going to do a tour in Atlanta. We're going to do a show in Atlanta. Well, whatever, whatever, whatever. Atlanta was fertile ground at the time, not just for its local artists, which were honestly more creative back then. You know what I mean? Far more creative back then than later on with the whole snap bullshit and all of that. But back to the subject of Biggie. Biggie loved talking about coming to – I've seen Biggie in Atlanta once at a – at a uh, bookstore. There's no not a bookstore, but a um, a little store in uh, Five Points in Atlanta, which that part of or near Peach near uh, the, um, in the flea market they had down there. But it's not there anymore, from what I can tell, at least from my seeing recently. But he was there, and it was on the time he and Craig Mack came for the uh, Morris Brown homecoming back in '94. And I bring up Atlanta because, to me, Atlanta was a part of my early 20s memories, and Biggie was a part of that. He was one of the greatest rappers of all time, hands down. Whether you like it or not, it was the best. It was one of the best of all time. You cannot dispute that. Area code 646-668-2453. Go go ahead, 314. Go ahead, 314. How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? doing Give me your thoughts on March 9th and the Notorious B.I.G. Man, are you saying that Biggie was the best? Uh, I know. I said, in my opinion, one of my favorites. I said he was one of the greatest of all time. I didn't say he was the greatest because in order to say who's the greatest, you honestly will have to go, and you will have to go down, and you have to start from 88 all the way down, so it's impossible to say that. I said one of the greatest. It's like I say pop. Man, let me tell you something. One of the greatest of all time. Uh, What's that? Let me tell you something. You're absolutely right. He was the best. Don't be apologizing. He was the best. Okay. Okay. And I'm probably, let me, let me, and I'm an old head, and I, and when he came out, I didn't learn Biggie uh-huh. till, till, maybe several five years ago or so, and I would listen okay. to his lyrics in Juicy, and his lyrics okay. was what was going on with people, especially when he talked about how the teachers told him that he would amount to nothing. That's, That's right. true. When he talked about no longer having to eat sardines for dinner, that was true. Right. 
The man, the young and, man, you know, was talking from his heart, from his experiences. That's right. And that's what it's and about. You know what? And you, and you know what? And I agree with that. And, and as a matter of fact, hear me out for a second. If you when I, when I talked about, if you heard me earlier when I said that back in the nineties, you know, folks were living. Folks weren't living what they did after they got signed. A lot of them did. Pop did, unfortunately. Only a few did. But we had enough sense back then to know that what Biggie talked about and others who talked about, they didn't do it anymore, but it was entertainment to us. And it was creatively put together. And that's the whole thing. And and not just that, his lyrical flow. His lyrical flow was probably in the top three of all time. And He's one of he's one of my two favorites. My first is Rakim, and then he comes second. But that's another topic for a different day. But you're right. And he talked about and then he didn't say and he talked about selling dope. That's what he had to do. But you're right in the song. He talked about how he had to do that. He had to do it to you didn't, he had to do it to put food on the table. Right. That's all he knew. For his daughters, taking care of his daughters, his his kids. That's right. Young man, you know, and that's what pissed me off is that you always got these knuckleheads. They deny the world the opportunity to enjoy and experience a B.I.G. And right. that is totally wrong. Same thing with Marvin Gaye. You deny the world the chance to get the most out of him, the best out He's of him. He's my favorite singer of all time. Big, Biggie would have right. been... Biggie would have been bigger than Michael Jackson because Biggie was on the on the road to becoming a billionaire. He was probably worth yeah. $100 million when he died. Well, I don't know if he was per se, but I know his catalog, definitely, you know. If, and to this day, you know, his, wife, his, his ex-wife or his widow, now she's now married again, but his widow is in control of his estate. But um, did you know what, though? And, and Puffy, Puffy has creative control of a lot of his uh, music. But in in life, yes, he would have made a lot of money because of the fact that, you know, um, everything that Little Kim has done since her first album, since he even he has died, she puts him down as an executive producer each time, because she said that you know what I know his kids are taken care of, but there's still a little sub extra he could get. So even my albums only sell a million copies or hundred thousand hundred thousand copies, his kids still get paid because he's an executive or executive producer of many of my projects. So. You're right. In time, he would have been worth a lot of money. Now, 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 I'm not saying that somebody snuffed him out for his rights. It's a good possibility. But it's just like you said, Marvin Gaye, who's my favorite singer of all time, actually. And uh, come April the 1st, to be the day, it'll be 40, 31 years since his dad shot him. And it's a shame that some of the greatest have to go at the hands of an assassin's bullet. And, you know, and it's a song I want you to check out. You call yourself an old head, but the song I want you to check out by Biggie, it's called Unbelievable. It's, it's the second to the last song on the Ready to Die album, which just turned 21, will be 21 years old this year. And I bought it twice. And that was my freshman year of college. And I have a lot of memories on that. But even though you didn't pay much attention to Biggie in life, let me ask you this. Um, is, do you have any regret of not being able or getting to know him uh, as far as an artist? Not personally, obviously, but, but listen to him on the radio and, and buying a CD of his while he was alive to enjoy watching him. I mean, do you have any regrets on that? Well, at the time that Biggie was in his prime, I was doing something else myself. Right. But when I started to have some 
experiences with young people, you know, whether in school or however. And the better understand him, you know, the same thing occurred with me with with uh, Bob Marley too. I mean, I came upon these individuals, like I say, no more, no more than say maybe ten years ago. And then I began to listen and study. And uh, if I, if it meant for me to have learned him. Because I remember when he got killed, but, you know, it was just a flash. It was just another news story at the time. And it didn't set with me until much, much later of the greatness of the individual that he was. And not only him, there have been others that have been snuffed out. Uh, Amos Wilson was another who went early. Uh, back in the 1920s, early, 19, like 1919, Hubert... Uh, Henry Harrison, Hubert Henry Harrison, you know, they called him the Black Socrates. Uh, uh, you know, they he, he was making complaints that blacks didn't even buy books, don't read books. Why are you making them same complaints today? So, uh, now Biggie was a, he was a prophet. Yeah, he was. Let me ask you this. In hindsight, if you can hear me, if you can hear me fine, can you hear me fine? Yes. Okay. In, in hindsight, what do you think about the East Coast West Coast war? Because I have my take on that, and I'm going to give you my take in a minute. But what, what do you, in hindsight, since, you know, things you've heard over the years, over that you've seen or read over the years, um, in hindsight, what do you think about that? And how do you think it, if it did destroy uh, black music even for a short time? You know, if you think so, why? If not, why? And if not, either one of those. Give me your take on that. Well, the notion of a East Coast West Coast rivalry is, is like the notion of a red and blue rivalry with the Bloods and the Crips. Those things had to be right. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that, brother, because I got something for you. Go ahead. And <laughs> even though the two about 3,000 miles apart, they're both suffering from the same type of degradation, have the same oppression. They're both right. being neglected, the same thing. So I think very strongly, and there's also always uh, always some evidence that the, that there was conspiratory things that was going on to call these quote-unquote rivalries. Right. And I got one, you know, and I, something I want to share with you right quick, and it's been declassified, so I don't have a problem talking about this, but if you go and do your research, you know, Tupac's mother was pregnant with him in prison. And um, and this is one reason why I don't I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure he knew this deep down inside. Maybe he couldn't talk about it. But, you know, she went on trial, I think, for conspiring to blow up a building or kill a cop or something like that, even though it fell up under the RICO Act. But uh, she defended herself, and uh, she ended up getting out. But um, anyhow, but then the, uh, with the COINTELPRO and everything that was going at the time up under Nixon and, and J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, that there was something called division between the East Coast chapter of the Panthers and the West Coast chapter of the Panthers. Isn't that shit, isn't that shit fucking ironic? And 20-something years later, 
her son is involved in the same thing, but it happens to do with the record industry. Do you think? Do you smell something fishy right there, my brother? Well, that type of rivalry it went on between the boys and in Washington. It went on between Hubert Henry Harrison and Washington. Uh, you seen the same thing being played out in Mark Scarborough. You know, we have to be immune from that type of action. Uh, these right. things are conspiratorial. Even Putin, uh, his rival, who just killed uh, Meznov, he said months ago that a quote-unquote red flag like this would appear. So, yes, these things, these things are well thought out. Uh, if things like that occur naturally, then you and I need to be going buying some Powerball tickets. Boy, stop. <laughs> Preach on, brother. And you're right. And, and see, the thing is that people don't realize is that, you know, music, let's say, let's say after, there was a gray area, and, and sir, obviously I'm 40, uh, so obviously you, you have some years on me, but let, let me give you a little lesson right quick, and I want you to respond to this. In um, around 97, or 96 rather, a young man by the name of Sean Carter came into the, uh, into the mix, the name was, of course, Jay-Z, and his first album was which is called Reasonable Doubt. It's called one of the biggest classics of all time. And, not, and listen to me out. Listen out here for a second. In 1996, some of the best albums since 88 that come out. I'm going to name them off out for you right quick. The Fugees, The Score, was sold almost to this day, like 12 million albums. Uh, Busta Rhymes' first album, The Coming, A Tribe Called Quest, Beats, Rhymes, and Life, uh, Two Pops, All Eyes on Me, uh, Outkast, AT Alien, um, even Master P, the ghetto's trying to kill me. I looked at it as just being art, but some people took it seriously. Uh, I can go on on some of those albums that came out in 96. That was a good year. It was looking good, even though it was a West Coast, East Coast rivalry. It was looking good. Music was still promising at the time. Music out of Texas was coming out, and it was really good at the time. After Biggie and Pac had died, it took a, short, it took a small shift. Towards 88, I mean, 98, 99, you had Cash Money and all those guys was under the radar. You know, you had good music between 2000 and 2002, three maybe. It took a dark, dark turn. When I remember, I just told someone this a few days ago, you, to this day, they still block ass out off of the fucking song, back that ass up. But now the songs they play on the radio, they're actually playing, saying, they're actually allowing the songs with explicit lyrics, some explicit words are actually being said on the radio or it's become more um, suggestive, yeah, like, for example, the song. And yes, exactly. The song that my uh, my son, he's he's in college in Atlanta. He's home until tomorrow. We talk about this all the time. There's songs like uh, Go and Get That Dope or whatever. And there's other stuff. My hitters, but they actually say my niggas. You know, uh, but somebody on the radio actually played it by accident one day. I don't know how they did it because they're all done by computer. And you just sitting there telling what the songs are, what have you. They have playlists. But... I mean, you know, and if you listen to songs like by Beyonce, I told my mother one day, and I, I said, Mom, listen, if you listen to Beyonce on the white pop stations, the songs are different than playing on the black stations. On one, it's one song she's saying that you wish you could do this to me, you wish I could be your baby mama, and this and that, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, what? And then they had a song by uh, 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 Fantasia a few years back, said this goes all to, they, up to all the baby's mamas. You're, they're setting precedent, and I try to tell people, that what you see on television, what you as far as reality shows and bullshit like that, hair weave and this and that and fake butts, they have to understand something. 
just like in the 70s. And you're older than I am, so you understand this. We look back at shows like Good Times and things like that and take pride in that. But as I grew older, brother, I started saying, look, wait a minute. Ho, 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 wait a minute. So the CBS affiliate in, the, in Nebraska somewhere or Montana that's playing Good Times, by the time someone goes to L.A. or go to Atlanta or New York, they're thinking that every black person is like that. It's like if you go overseas right now, it's a little different now because we're more worldly now. But you, you now the world, I told my, my cousin, I know I'm going to let you get, get, get your word in, but I told my cousin, I said, look, girl, I said, look, do you realize that what you put in front of people, the world sees you as that? It's almost impossible right now for us to even, to even get away from that. And even the days of Biggie, yeah, he was misogynistic in lyrics and things like that, but even though he talked about it, he wasn't in staircases selling weed still with a record deal. He was not there slapping people. He was not there making fools out of himself. Fool out of himself. He kept himself quiet. He acted like a fucking gentleman. And we don't have that anymore. It's like now you have to have a bunch of fucking tattoos, sell your soul out, get a big ass, you know, you know, uh, set one of your buddies up or some shit like that. Do, do they understand? Like I told my son, he's an artist. All you have to do is go independent. Cypress Hill has not had an has not had a major record label deal in almost twenty years, but they follow and speak. They can go anywhere in the country, in the world, make a couple hundred thousand dollars and sit on their ass for a couple of weeks without selling. They sold out to a fucking record label. That's the problem. We want quick money. You know what I well, mean? Well, yeah, yeah, I understand it. And the, the thing is, and that you've heard this before, that we need to control. We need to control that ourselves. From the bottom to the top, you know what I'm saying. You know, like people say, well, yeah. blacks don't support black people. They don't support black businesses. Well, you know, if a black person had a chicken restaurant, chicken dinner restaurant, for you and I to go in there and sit down and order a chicken dinner, really is not supporting that business. Until you raise the chicken. You process the chicken, you warehouse the chicken, and you transport the chicken. That's controlling, supporting a black business. And, you know, you talk about what they see. I've talked to the black comic makers, you know, do the comic books. I say, when are blacks going to start doing comic books showing blacks coming from intergalactic space? Coming here and tearing up shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Defeating the Americans best. When is we going to have, and I know you remember, you remember J.R. Ewing in Dallas? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why don't we have TV series based on that type of life? I mean, I am seeing this empire, but I know it oh, may be gosh. hidden on that, but it ain't that. Because oh, it's horrible. In that, in J.R. Ewan's, they didn't have, that family had them two or three brothers. They didn't have no three-bedroom sets, no three kitchens, no three living. They came, they stayed in the same house. They came down to the breakfast, came down to, they talked business. They was, they was scheming and conniving and controlling some big business. Why come right. we don't have series that show that? Why come when we have ancient movies, why come we don't go all the way back when blacks was kicking ass, controlling trade routes? 
when they was commanding, not only, they was commanding divisions and marching them thousands of miles. They maintain, you know what it is back in them days when you start off at point A to go to point D? Well, you got to have a supply route that follows you to feed your, your troops, to feed the right. horses, to maintain the horses' shoes, to maintain the chariots. That's right. a enterprise. So why come we don't show right. that? You know why? Because we don't own the media, unfortunately. You know, we we, we don't we even never, think about I mean, this stuff. I was reading an article where right. it said, and I just have to pull this thing back up. Right now, it says here that children exposed to religion have difficulty distinguishing fact from fiction. Oh, I believe fine. it. I believe it. And that's true. Yeah. So, what you saying? And for you to say the bigot was the best ever, well, you got just as much legitimacy to say that as anybody as I as my grandfather said that Jack Johnson was the best ever boxer that he ever seen until right. Muhammad Ali. It would have been a very very wow. close toss up. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you know what? And and I think a lot of people, they get into this whole thing about, they can't say. You know, I know people this day say, man, you know, man, that big use I but Pac was my man. But see, that's how they got us. They got us fighting over two dudes who really had nothing to do with the agenda they were trying to put forth, put, put forth towards us anyway. We just like the music. You know what I mean? And now it's so sad that now... Um, that it's just. But you know now, let me tell you something. You can't blame these kids today, see, because it's not their fault. See, if previous generations don't leave this generation with something to build off of, if you don't leave your generation with something to do, believe me, and we see it all the time, somebody else will have something for that generation to do. And more often than not, it would be illicit. And they would use them as a commodity. Just like the report by the DOG on Ferguson. You know, I stayed about 15 minutes from Ferguson. Right. I see it all the time. They use them in the public schools. Am I right? That's true. They're making wages, salaries, benefits, and pensions off of those right. black children in them urban public schools. That's right. If you were to spend that kind of money for an automobile, three blocks from the dealership, tires, doors, hoods would be flying up, and windows wouldn't roll down. That's right. It's not the children's fault. They are children. They don't know better. They come there wanting to do better. What cow don't want to do better? Want to learn. It's an exploitative system that's going on that we continue to fall into. And here's another point. All black folks ain't the same, neither. We need to get out of that mess. That's right. You need to find somebody who's like mine and got the like ideas and go with them. And if that was to be duplicated thousands of times, then you have what? A movement. It may not be no central... It may not be no central 
led movement, but it would be a movement. Because in the position that generally we are in today, there's no other direction to go but up. That's right. But you know what? I will I will say this. I will say this. I have to go on home for just a moment, go intermission. But it's something I want you to um I want you to think about. And and as far as education goes, and you're right about that, I'm gonna get on that too because Biggie was was actually very well educated. And we're gonna talk about that. So three one four, I want you to hold just for a minute right quick. I'll be back in about two Three minutes or so, I'm going to finish this conversation because, one, you made some serious points as you had before, before when you called in. And I want to finish with that because this whole Ferguson thing is a mess. Not only is it a mess, but as we spoke about Biggie and all of that, the era in which his music was, uh, when he was alive and his music was new and fresh, we had a better education system at the time. And we also had uh, what I would say, uh, you know, we, we even had better music and we even had better followers, but, you know, we have better leaders. We have women wearing their hair natural, guys looking like men, guys not wearing dresses, not wearing skirts and skinny jeans, things like that. So that all falls into play, too. And back to the image of Biggie, because Biggie would not have worn no bullshit like that. You know what I'm saying? You know, he would have worn no No, Biggie, Biggie was clean, man. Biggie was a he clean was a dude. Different, he was a different... I ain't never seen nothing like this before. That's the type of person right. he was. That's right. This is I ain't never seen nothing like this. Look how clean this dude. You know, he came, he reminded me of the dressing that you've seen in the Superfly, the Mac, and so on, so on, right. so on. The man was, the young right. man was clean, and he was such an imposing figure. You know, this is a big old dude. Exactly. And on, big on, pappy. Exactly. Exactly. On that note. Oh, no, no, I got to take a break for a second. This is New Gandhi Watergate. Give me a call at 646-668-2453. My man, 314, I'm going to put him on hold for a second. I'm going to go ahead and pay the water bill. I've been drinking beer. I got to go to the bathroom. Everybody give me a call. Hit me up on Twitter at New Gandhi Watergate or Facebook, New Gandhi Watergate, and on YouTube as well, New Gandhi Watergate as well, my friends. I'll be back shortly. And um, take it easy, guys. 314, I'll be back in a little bit, my man. My mind right.
trying to get my mind right. Hey, look, press keep building to the ceiling, but I had to bust fights. Nigga, had to get to it. Young nigga had to prove it. Came up, nigga, from the switch. Had to get it out the mud. Most niggas can't do it. But my whole team, they stayed down with a nigga. And this vain boy, so the day I die, if you ain't fucking with it, I ain't with it. I had to leave that hole alone to get my mind right. Nigandi Watergate back at you here, Blog Talk Radio, discussing the life of Notorious B.I.G. Obviously, he's been gone now for what the day is, what the year is, what, 90, 2005, 15 rather, so it's 18 years since he's been taken away from us. 314, let's go at it. You know, another thing, too, uh, <clears throat> people will pay money to be motivated. They would go oh, see, yeah. listen to Les Brown. They would listen to Robert Kiyosaki. And there's others. So who's to say that these children today, based on their experiences and the life that they live in, can't have the motivation that they get out of rappers? I agree. See, if you want your children to seek other forms of motivation, if you want your artists to produce that motivation, then black society needs to set the foundation and the groundwork. Because there's nothing like using the lyrics and the voice of an artist to motivate. Did not the NBA used to play Montel Williams' song at their games? This is how we do it. Right. What was going on when South African children Montel Jordan. Montel Jordan. Yeah, Montel Jordan, I'm sorry. Right. Right. 
What was what was being what what was the lyrics with the South Africans when those kids right. was doing what they had to do? Right. Change you want to and see here's another thing. This is about control because the powers of be is not gonna do that because they know that when you get this type of knowledge, when you get these type of abilities, when you get this sort of skills, who are you gonna compete with? NBA wasn't always the percentage of blacks that it was. Blacks had to work their way into the NBA. That's right. And when they came into it, what did they do? They started to control it. NFL, they started to control it. Major League Baseball in the 70s, it was about 65% black. That's right. We talking about economics here. Right. That's what it's about here in the United States. It's about money. Foreigners come right. here to to extract money out of this system. Them businesses that got black burned down in Ferguson, those wasn't, but you might have had one or two. The majority of those businesses, those little shops and that, was immigrants. Guess what they do with their profits? They send their profits back home. Damn right. In remittances. And they're starting new middle classes in those countries. You're damn right. They educate their children. Some of them come over here and enroll into your universities and pay full tuition. Matter of fact, black universities are going to start looking into attracting who? Immigrants. Because they pay full tuition. They don't necessarily be looking at scholarships. Because many of your scholarships, one of the questions they ask you, are you a U.S. citizen? Right. They can't answer yes. And we got to start true. thinking. We need to start realizing, like right. the lyrics used to go. That's right. And you know what the funny thing is? I always thought that black music over the years, I always thought it was an experiment because if you, you know, and we're getting to what you're saying, I'm going to get to that, but with this, that I remember... And I was talking to one of my coworkers one day. And by the way, the song I was playing was, was my first cousin, TK and TK and Cash, and they're out of they're out of Augusta, Georgia, but they're in Atlanta, but however, and they're doing very well on Billboard with that. But thank you. Um in the night, you know, it in the in the eighties with rap, it was it was it went from it went from uh M to talking about who I am, da 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 I got this, I got that, which is entertainment. Around eighty seven, eighty eight you had, you know, you, you you had your filthy rap out of Florida, but it was nothing as, as bad as it is now. You had Kid and Play, Jazz Jeff and the Fresh Prince. If you wanted uh, to up you know party rap, you know if you wanted conscious rap, you had Public Enemy, you had Tribe Called Quest, you had Dale Soul, Jungle Brothers, Queen Latifah, EPMD, Eric Bieber, I came or whatever, you know. And then and I'm sure I'm getting with this. I said one day I'm going and I said look, you know we were talking about this in my hometown. I was like you know look, um, if you want to bring a group down here to sell out, Wu Tang could sell out. It was like, Wu-Tang, man, please, somebody don't want to see that. I said, yeah, I mean, you, you put the advertising on the rock station because most of their fans are now white. I said, yes, it will sell out. I said, look at Outkast, same thing. It's very funny because so many blacks were, when Public Enemy came out, everybody was so pro-black. Everybody was wearing the African medallions, you know, what have you, this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden, it took a dark turn. Then when you start seeing groups like NWA, people like that, all the black folks left and went to the negative. Then... 
there was a void open for public enemy, their audience became more white. It's like same thing with the with the outcast. They the, the majority of outcasts, they, they, their fans were black. But then Master P come along, negativity, blacks ran with that, it left a void open for white folks. Now white folks are are keeping outcasts rich. Like I said, with public enemy and, and Wu Tang, people like that. And I'm not saying Wu-Tang is the greatest example of what you would call black positivity, but I would say black creativity maybe. But now, and you're talking about, you know, the uh, the education and all that, I think somebody had a plan because the nigga just said, well, look, we're going to see how they gravitate towards this, this, this African nationalism type rap music. And it was like probably 30, 40 of them. And I could probably name 20 of them off, off, off the back of my hand right now. But then it went all, they, they put that negative shit out there. Then the blacks ran to it, abandoned everything that was positive. The same thing with BET right now. BET has not been black-owned since I don't know how long. Even then when it was black-owned, Robert Johnson was still a puppet. Then when he sold it off, when, had that, when our Viacom had that big buy-off and bought MTV, BET, and all that, and the Jews took over, blacks became more sexually oriented, it became more gangster, it became more dope. I mean, it's so sad that now, and I want you to hear me out on this one, and I know you're going to agree with me on this one, brother. You know what the funny thing is? Right now, if I went to a cop right now, or if I went to the feds right now, and I said, you know what, I'm a blood and I'm proud of it. You know what I mean? I, I do what it takes for my hood, my set, my block. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I made my way to the OGs. I'm this and I'm that. They'll look at me like I'm crazy. They'll investigate me and try to implement me in some kind of crime. Now, what Snoop Dogg has been glorified, he tells you in his interviews, I'm a crip. You know, I was I came up as a crip, and I'm still a crip. I'm affiliated, and it's glorified, it's celebrated. Jay Z will sit in the interview right now, no matter who you talk to, whether it be Charlie Rose, or whether it be somebody from CNN or whoever. And, and these are all not good news organizations anymore. Never have been for the past 15 years. Goes to any credible news reporter and say, I used to sell dope all the fucking time. That's how I made my bread. That's how I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have started my label without dope money. Everybody go, oh wow, what a, what a you know what a what an inspiring story. But if I tell that story right now as a, as a, as a human being, they're gonna tell me I'm a bad person. You see how they well, they do the same it? thing. I mean, look at the CIA. How does CIA get money for its its uh its operations? CIA is off oh, off the books operation. They use drugs. Right. You talk about yeah. the Jews, and you talk about the you talk about the type of music that's the music that's being put out and the type of behavior that it is inspiring. Well, hell, look at Palestine over in Israel. Huh? Right. Yeah. You know, when, when something works, people stick with it. I mean, it's quite natural. They stick with it. If it's working, let's try it over here. Let's try it over there. Right. And that's how black folks get caught up. If you can, you know, you can idolize, you can advertise, you can idolize, advertise your idolizers. Idolize and advertise. If blacks wow. had corporations and business products they was making, then these idols, these these artists, these entertainer idols could advertise at the same time. Some of your videography could show a person coming down, sitting down, pouring a, a certain brand of cereal in a bowl as they reminiscing over the night before. Well, whose cereal is that? You follow what I'm saying? You got a point. You know, let me ask you this. What, what do you do for a living? I'm retired now. I used to put up buildings. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you told me that before. That's right. And, and let me let me ask you this. Um, and, you know, and and, and and matter of fact, I'm not even gonna ask. I'm gonna go into what I was saying about Biggie because every time I've talked to you, you know, you you and I we could talk for hours. You know what I mean? But but back to Biggie for a moment. Your brother was fly. He was clean. You know, Rick Ross, people like that. I've seen Rick Ross clean here and there, but Biggie was Biggie would not have won no fucking skinny jeans like fucking Rick Ross. No, he, he wouldn't won have won and whose whose styles would be who who make the styles he would have been wearing if we had done it the right way? Do you, I mean, it's very simple, ain't that hard? No, man. I, if 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 Biggie if Biggie was living nowadays, I would. Man, you know he could make a manufacturer. Just oh, a yeah. friend of mine. I take my grandson down to Atlanta to train with Brandon Phillips' father. You know Brandon Phillips, second baseman. For the Cincinnati Reds, been in majors thirteen years. Okay. He do not use. He do not spend a dime of his contract money. He spent all his endorsement money. That's what he lives off of. He probably don't even spend wow. all that. Biggie would have been endorsing a black manufacturing and production. You now, see the connection. I, I, you see I, I, how I, this works. Right. If he was I living today. Do, I, I gotta say this though. That that might be true, if you're living today. But but of course back then, you know, his his shit was Coogee and his shit was Versace now. Don't get me wrong. But that mm-hmm. but Puffy did that though. That had nothing to do with him. I think Puffy the Coogee might have been him, but I think Puffy did the whole Versace and all that bullshit and Whoever done it, whoever done it, they was going in the right. The only thing that wasn't missing there is that we were not making them clothes to the extent that we should. Now, listen, it's one thing to go over to, it's one thing to take your patterns over to China and lay them on the table. But Mm -hmm. see, it's another thing if you take them to Africa where you control the Mm -hmm. manufacturer and lay them on the table. You see what I'm fuck saying? That, fuck that. Take, let's go to East St. Louis. Not, when I say motherfucker, I'm not talking about you. Can't go to East St. Louis because the price is too high. You got to use sense with this. But, 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 but what I'm saying, I don't, you know, I would rather, this is me. Now, don't get me wrong now. Back to two between China and and and, uh, and, and and Sierra Leone, obviously I would go with Sierra Leone. But, I mean, honestly, though, you know, when the Olympics were snubbed in Chicago, all the whites were like, good. Obama can't, you know, can't, can't uh, claim victory. But if the Olympics would have been would have, would have gone to Chicago, he St. lost all those jobs, all those guys who I, I witnessed that in Atlanta in the Olympics. I worked for the Olympics at the time. I worked at Centennial Park doing security. My only day off was when the bomb went off, and I worked at Planet Hollywood at night. And what I'm saying is this though: they bought. You know how many people within the Southeast region came to Atlanta to work, whether it was contract. Uh, work contract security work, whether it had been uh, contracted out police officers, contract construction, janitorial. You know how many brothers in East St. Louis could have made. You know what you can have in use on on the subject on the topic we talk about I mean, sorry, in East St. Louis. You can Gary, have your yeah. Well, Gary, any place else, you could have your right. you could have your uh, warehouses, you could have your distributors, and you could have your wholesalers of goods 
that's produced and manufactured over there because you can't you have to have that competitive edge. The distance between the Gulf and West Africa is shorter than the distance is between San Francisco and China. That's true. So you have to utilize the things that you have to your event. Plus, there's trade agreements where there's no duty and no tariff. That could be a reparation item. We want reparation money to put it in our pocket, whereas I say reparation should be is that when you make over there and you bring back into this country duty and tariffs free, that's another advantage. You want 15% of the shelf space in your Walmarts, your Kmarts, your Targets, to display and sell your goods. That's a given. No less than 15%. Because they're in your community. That's affirmative action. That's the kind of affirmative action we should be having. I'm not saying that the other is not good, but the other is diluted. So that's the mind, that's the direction that our minds should be going. Keep on talking. Talk. I, I will say this, though. Now, you got, when I was thinking about the era of Biggie, the era of Biggie, man, you know, was living single, New York undercover. I didn't like Martin, but okay, whatever. I use those examples because it reminds me of fucking black fucking prosperity. Living single before Fox got corrupted again and decided to put out bullshit shows like uh, Empire, you had living singles. You had a show with Queen Latifah's uh, uh, Khadijah. Her, her fucking, um, her occupation was an owner of a, of, a, of a magazine. You had her cousin who was a secretary there. You had a black mm-hmm. woman who was an alder, I mean, who was a lawyer who became an alder woman. You had T.K. Uh, Carson, the, the, the black guy with the dreads who played, I forgot his name. He was an, he was a real estate stockbroker or investor. Then you had um, his roommate who was who was a handyman, but he took care of the whole fucking building. You had he had uh, Kim Fields' character who was a fashion designer. You understand? Know and, and the people they ran with were equally successful. Mm-hmm. Martin, I didn't like that show, but guess what? Martin had a radio show starting at the beginning. Anyway, the stereotypes of of of, of Shanae, I didn't care for that. That's what really turned me off from him. But and everybody was employed, and everybody worked. Even well, Tommy, they said Tommy have a job, whatever, da da da, da whatever. But he had little stereotypes like bro man and all that. But it wasn't so vicious. You know, the nineties was should have. Well, the seventies were the the nineties were the seventies should have been. Crime was down. Teenage pregnancy was down. STDs were down. Black unemployment black unemployment was at the at the minimum. Heroin usage was down. Crack usage was going down just a tad bit. Black folks were buying homes. I was in my 20s. I'm the class of 1993. There were more people in my class who were buying homes in their early 20s than any generation before and after me. You know what I mean? I moved back only thing is, only thing is, is that they work for other people. That, that, we, we get it. I, I get that. But, but I'm I understand what that, you're saying, that, but ultimately, right. you got to move away from that paradigm. I'm, I'm telling you. Oh, I mean, no it's good to stand on your feet and be able to walk. I was talking to oh, a no friend doubt. of mine, a guy who who works with my grandson on his sprints. friend of his is uh, Bobby Kersey, Jackie Jonah Kersey's husband. And right. uh, Ephraim's son has a, a electrical engineering degree. 
but he don't want to leave home. He's working here and for a white company. They're paying him $13.50 an hour. I say, you crazy? With an electrical engineering degree, you got to go where they demand you. You need to go down south. See, right. but they are never going to pay you. And it's a lot better than what it used to be, and believe me, it is. But you got to get to the point, man. I'm telling you, we have to control our own. Same thing in Ferguson. There's no reason why all these white police officers should be in these communities. You can't go in areas and work. That's stupid. Here they are in your community. They're working jobs, public service jobs that pay middle class wages, salary, benefits, and pensions. Why your black children graduating from high school got to get on the bus and ride by in cars the same facilities that your parents is paying for, and they going out in the outskirts working minimum wage jobs with no benefits and no pensions. That's crazy. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is madness. Yeah. That And you know what? Not only do I 100% agree with you on that, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine. And again, everybody, for those who are listening, we are, yes, we are talking about the life of Biggie, but we wouldn't go further because of the fact that, specifically what I spoke about, you know, when you have the era of Biggie, which is the era when, and again, like you're saying, of course, we need more interaction with each other on a financial basis and on a currency basis, but, you know, the, the Biggie, around that time, I have to say this again, I have to say it, even though we're working for the people, you know, we were less reliant on the government to a degree. Now, just to take the earned income tax credit for a second. I haven't been able to uh, qualify for that in a long time. I moved back home from Charlotte to move back in with my parents so, my, so I could help support my son to go to college, which anybody would do if they had any common sense. You know, you couldn't afford Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah, a college tuition and your own bills. Now, you know, I I say this. I told one of my friends, you know what, if, if 35 to 40% of black people would have saved their earned income tax credit at least save half of it, put it aside. I said within a year and a half, two years, or using the whole earned income tax credit and not using that to pay off debts in Christmas, they could have their own home. I say three years. You have your mm-hmm. own home on your own land just would have saved the interest alone on those three earned income tax credit checks after you've cashed it and put it aside. The interest would have helped you buy a home. You could use that as collateral to buy a home. And another thing, too, that I have to point out, brother, is this. Again, we talk about Biggie, obviously, in that era of the 90s, which is very, I think, back and very nostalgic about it. At that time, at that time, even the art, the art, the uh, the art, should I say, the art of African Americans was much more appreciated. You talk about the arts now amongst the black community, they're thinking you're talking about Tyler Perry and his plays. Which is another detrimental uh, a scar on our, on black society, and not just because he dresses in a dress, but because of the simple fact that he's taken something. And I'm a non-believer. I have to tell you that. But he's taken something. And even though I'm a non-believer, I still have respect for folks who go to church and they're and, and they're and they're honest about it. But I've taken a format in a dress, took controversy, and black women don't know this, but he's making them look horrible. 
You know what I mean? And and then yeah. he's played adding, adding gospel at the end to justify what he has just done. In the 90s, when Biggie and people like that were alive, you didn't see that. People didn't play that. If you were gospel, you were gospel. Not saying that there were no crooked folks around that time because Creflo Dollar was creeping around the corner around that time. T.D. Jakes was just coming around at that time. But at the time, we have put so many, so much hope in false prophets that look like us. It used to be a time when Biggie was alive and rappers and stuff, yada, yada. We'll sit around, we'll smoke weed, which I still do. I'm not going to I could care less about it. I do. Ah, who cares? We'll sit around, we'll smoke, we'll drink. You know, we'll have a couple of females over, whatever, and listen to good music. Now, everybody's trying to emulate the music. Back then, we were like, yo, Biggie's hard. Pop, he's hard, you know. You know, whatever. Method Man, Red Man, yeah, they're cool, they're hard. The music is hot. Wu-Tang is hot. This or that. We didn't sit around and talk. Well, some people did talk about who's hard, who's harder, Biggie and Pac, who died, da 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 da, da who. But we didn't talk like that. Now we're so focused on, when I heard a kid at a local family dollar one day, he was in line with his mom. And I'm about to get on single moms in a second, too. A lot of folks are not going to like this. But this forum is about Biggie, but we, have, but we went a little further because, like you said, you talked about when he talked when he, in the song Juicy, how he did this and did that, yada, yada. It falls to the same paradigm was what I'm going to say right now. A young kid told me, well, not told me, told his mom, you know, mom, when I get grown, I'm going to get you a Bugatti. Only because you're hurting the music. See, <laughs> even, even though Pac and Biggie both came from single-parent homes, okay, I'm not saying it's bad. But it goes, I've never heard, I have never heard Valletta Wallace, or I've never heard, which is Christopher Wallace, Biggie's mom, I've never heard a Phoenix Shakur, Tupac's mom, sit here and say, his success was because of me. You know, I hear, hello? Hello? I'm still here. Okay, I guess I just dropped, okay. You know, now I hear, I see people like, like Kevin Durant, they all come out talking, you know, your mom said it wasn't for the mom. Okay, fine. Then I hear other mothers say, I did it on my own, and my son LeBron did Really? But what are you going to say? You see him say, well, I'm responsible for my son being a dope addict. You know, I'm, I'm responsible for him doing this, doing that. They won't claim that responsibility. But they'll, but, but, when, but when they become millionaires, they become basketball players. Ooh, I did it all on my own, girl, without no man. But then when he does something fucked up, then he's going to say, well, his daddy wasn't around. I, I, you know, I just stacked it up. Black people, we cannot have it all. We cannot, we cannot have it one way without acknowledging the other way, too. And then, again, like I said, I mentioned the Biggie again because this is his show. But, again, in that era, we didn't have, even Biggie didn't even, even trash his, his dad. He didn't trash his dad. His dad was, was a married man. He didn't trash his dad. Pop never trashed his dad. Never did that. Never. These young artists back then were intelligent people, and Biggie was a very intelligent man. He went to a private school, but it was, and then he eventually went to a public school, but the man was not stupid. If you listen to a lot of these rappers, especially even nowadays, you know, you have people like West Coast rappers like Snoop and others, yada, yada, they still speak well. They still had good education in those cities. And when they came out, they were there. A lot of them didn't follow up, but these I look at people like Kendrick Lamar, I think that's his name, or the two chains, one of the two. These guys are college educated. You're taking college educated, non-college educated stances on ruining your people. I have to bring Pac into it again, because even though he was, he did a lot of bullshit that, 
that didn't necessarily cause his death, but it helped establish a reason why they probably killed him. But these young men now, Lil Wayne, these guys are intelligent. These guys are not stupid. Rick Roth is not stupid. He was a correctional officer. Do you know how hard it is to get a correctional officer job in any country in the United States? Hell, look, look at the uh, look at uh, Mayweather. He may not read, mm. but he sure does no business, don't he? Mm-hmm. But man, exactly. look, I got to get out of here. You know what I forgot and what got me is this daylight saving time. Oh man! When it gets I'm dark sure outside, it's, a, it's an hour later, and I want to run someplace and get something to eat. <laughs> and you gonna go? You gonna go to Aldi? Hell no. <laughs> well, are you going to go to, uh, what's the place up there where they got the floor rolls? Uh, I forgot what it's called. My ex-wife is from down there in, in the boot hill of uh, Missouri, actually, though. But, you know, no, hey, 314. I'm a long way from the boot hill, but I'm running over. I'm probably running out here to the loop and get me a Gucci okay. bowl. But anyway, okay. it's nice talking to you. Hey, 314, you call me back anytime you see me. You just give me a call. We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna hash it up. Three one four. You have a good one. This is New Gandhi Watergate. Back at you guys. We're discussing right. the whole. Thank you, thank you, sir. You know we're discussing um, the whole Tupac. I mean, excuse me, Biggie. <laughs> Biggie's life and and we are, and my man three one four out there in Missouri. Thank you for calling, man. Um, you know, he always takes me far left field on certain things, but, you know, it is the truth. You know, Biggie, in the era in which he has lived, which he lived, was actually a pretty good era. I mean, it was a very good era. It was an era which black people in particular were doing well. We're still doing well. I mean, it's not like we're broke. But as I told you, I'm very nostalgic when it comes to eras. And what went on in that era? When I went to go pick my son up from Atlanta, I rode through downtown. I haven't been there so long. My dorm was downtown, and I start. And then I turned on. I think it was Georgia State, uh, Georgia, Georgia State University's college radio station. And um, man, the music that I listened to back then, because I was always more of a like house, deep jazz, deep house, you know, whatever. Uh, old school B-sides, you know, shit that people didn't realize existed because they had one single, they had one song on one side that they hit, and the other B-side was some book that people thought was bullshit, but, you know, um, but, it, it, you know, and I was riding through, and I was getting very excited, like, wow, he was in the 90s, and I remember this day that was there, and Biggie always pops up, Pac always pops up, pops up, you know, Wu-Tang always pops up in my memory because those those guys were a part of my early years as an adult. And just like now, my son, who listens to people like, well, not necessarily, but he somewhat listens to people like, like, um, like Migos, even though he don't fuck with them. I mean, I didn't really fuck with a lot of groups back in the day, but I fucked with some of them here and there because he was on the radio at the time or because I was in somebody's house or whatever, you know. But there will never be another Biggie. Never, ever be another Biggie. There'll never, there'll never be another Biggie. There'll be another Pac, ODB, Freaky Tar. You know, um, Beanie Siegel hoping nothing happens to him, but shit's getting fucked up with him. I don't know what's going on. You know, there'll never be another left eye. There'll never be another Leah. Never. Never. And the people that they've replaced him with 
Mm. My goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think it's time for another break. You know, and um I'm 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 so happy that all of you
One of my favorite Biggie moments of all time was when I walked in. I was going. It was a it was a room in my dorm, main area, in the lobby area, and it was um, it was it was we had a big screen and all. And this was before they closed it all off. It was like a little hangout area, and a lot of folks from other hoods in Atlanta, believe it or not, would come and stop through. You didn't have to have a um, a card to go into that area. You just go in, grab something, eat whatever, and then sit in the lobby area. And I used to fuck with people because they had a big screen TV and I had a universal remote that and hot shit up in my room. And, um, you know, TV and all of that. I bought home, bought from home. And the universal remote, so I would just fuck with people and just change the channel. Who the fuck's doing that? Yeah, but anyway, so I'm sitting there one day and one of one of my um, neighbors upstairs in my dorm, you know, had some chicks over and stuff, and we decided to smoke some weed. And so I'm like, man, I'm going to go downstairs, man. This is when you're young, you smoke, you just want to eat. You don't think about beer, nothing like that. You want to eat and drink some Kool-Aid and stuff like that, especially when you're in college, you know. So I went over to the little entertainment area or, or a gathering area, and they had BT on. And so I thought it was black and white video. Bad boy. You know what I'm talking about? The fucking um, Flavor and Yeri mix with Biggie starting off. And you had Craig Mack on there, which is his song. You had LL. Um, you had uh, Buster Rhymes and I think his cousin. I forgot his fucking name. Uh, the last Boy Scout, whatever the fuck his name was, which is one of the best remixes of all time. And what I'm going to do for my next broadcast will probably, probably be either tomorrow or probably Thursday, I'm going to play that. And for those who forget about that, Biggie says, niggas is mad, I get more butt than ashtrays. Fuck a fair way, I get by in the fast way. Ski mask way, ransom note. Far from handsome, but damn a nigga tote. More guns than roses. I'm like, whoa. You know what I mean? That's a fucking verse. Those are bars, motherfucker. You know what I mean? Not these motherfuckers called bars now. I'm like, what the fuck? These ain't fuck. Yeah, they're candy bars. You know, fucking snicker bars. They're not real fucking bars. I let my son listen to um, Hardcore. You ready for some Hardcore or some shit like that? By M.O.P. Even my son said, they were like, yo, this was hot. For that. This is not necessarily my cup of tea, but it's hot, you know. It's, I like that shit. You know, it's cool. But, you know, I can fuck with it. And they had the whole hardcore version. These are the new school where one will say certain things and the other person will come in and, like, um, and would um, emphasize certain words. Like, if I say, get up, they'll be like, one person will be saying, get up, so and so and so. I, that kind of shit, you know. He had a little touch like that, food sneaking, whatever, but more hard. And if you want to know about Fushnickens, go look up Fushnickens with Shaq. Shaq had a song with it, believe it or not. Back in the day, yeah, Fushnickens. But, um, you know, it's the whole era back then where shit was taken seriously. You know, when you had, you know, in Atlanta, for example, when I went to college, 
You say, oh, Atlanta's hot. They got this person living there coming through there. Kanye was up there last week. Fuck that. Dude, we had hip-hop legends coming through at the time. Carolus one was in Atlanta all the fucking time. You know what I mean? It was not. There was no. It was no uh, accident to walk down the road downtown and see Too Short before anybody who the fuck Lil John was. You know what I mean? It was no problem walking down Peach Street and seeing Eric Sermon or Be Real from Cypress Hill. Especially the Jack the Rapper convention back in the day. That's what really put Atlanta on the map with hip hop was Jack the Rapper. And, I, and then, yep, Jack the Rapper 95, where Biggie and Bad Boy was featured. They played Biggie shit and Junior Mafia shit in 95. That was one of, like the last, one of the last Jack the Rappers I think. If not the last, I could be wrong. Jack the Rapper was a. If not mistaken, was a radio personality out of Florida, an older guy who had this thing for hip hop. I guess a little R&B here in there, urban culture, I guess you could say. You know, and he had the Jack the Rapper convention. I'm not sure if he always had it in Atlanta or not, but it, it, it made it had its last few years in Atlanta if it, if it hadn't always been there. And the Gavin Radio Music Convention. This was back in the 90s. You know what I mean? When you can walk down the street, down Peach Street, and see Biggie. I didn't see him like that. By the time he got big, he might have gone, he came to Atlanta for a couple of concerts. But you can see anybody. YZ. You all know who the fuck he is, so I'm not even going to get into that. But YZ. Guru from Gangstar. Onyx. I saw Jam Master Jimmy, rest in peace. I saw him coming out of my job at Planet Hollywood going to the Peachtree Station. Doing the Gavin Radio Music Convention after I already gotten samplers, sample cassettes. They used to give way back then so you can hear some of the shit that was coming out by different artists. Flip Mode gave me Busta Rhyme sampler for the coming. Some dudes with some record label called Rockefeller that the jackets on came and gave me Musical Doubt by Jay-Z. But that same night, going to Peace Street Center Station, I ran into Rand, MC Rand. Then a few feet later, I ran into Jam Master J. So it was not, it wasn't no problem seeing folks like that. And that was the era of Biggie, again, I have to say, because that's when music was still good. Now, for those who may be listening, or those who may be not, 312's got the phone. Always good to hear from you, brother, always. But the first time I heard Hit Him Up, you can't talk about Pop or Biggie without talking about Hit Him Up. You can't. It's impossible. Or who shot you? Well, a lot of folks don't know who shot you was made basically, basically not on accident, but as like we got to get it done. This track needs to be done. Somebody's done it. Somebody got to get on it. Biggie got on it. It was supposed to be a song with Mary J. Blige. A remix. If I'm not mistaken. Mary J. Blige, LL Cool J, Keith Murray, and Biggie. Which would have... That would have 
Oh, anyways, it didn't happen. I'm not sure it was LL folks, something like that, that said it couldn't go down or conflict of interest. I can't But if you listen to Mary J. Blige's um, interlude before the single off the um, title album, My Life, the single My Life, you hear that same track. You hear Keith Murray over it saying whatever the fuck he's saying. This was before Who Shot You even came out. Then, a few weeks after the album was dropped, I think, that's when Biggie put the song out, and Pac had not been shot yet, I don't think. But the powers that be, some way, somehow, students made a zip. Biggie was dissing Pac because he got shot. Which, to me, is one of the coldest tracks Biggie ever did. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Puffy, well, I think, did that, that track. It was one of the most coldest tracks yeah, ever, ever heard. Am I, that I've ever heard. I mean, and then a year and a half later, I think, Hit Em Up comes out. Now, mind you, when that East Coast, West Coast bullshit beef was going on, the only album I bought between 95 and 90, late 96, and I would say early 97, was Beats, Rhymes, and Life by a tribe called Quest, my favorite rap group. And just in case you all don't know, also, Outkast's favorite rap group. Now, I I boycott. I boycotted rap back then because I was disappointed. Everyone thought I was crazy, but I was being for real because I knew this shit was not going to end well. You didn't see Queens and Harlem going at it when LL and Kumo D had their beef. You didn't see it. You didn't see Queens and Bronx going at it like that. Guns and toting guns and whipping ass and shit when Shan and the Juice Crew was going at it with BDP. You didn't see no one getting shot with the beef between Luke and Death Row, even though Luke was smart. I mean, Death Row was smart. They'd have gone into Florida with that shit. Luke could have had him fucked up. But it didn't happen. Ice Cube and West Side Connection versus Cypress Hill. That was probably the closest you could have seen motherfuckers get fucked up. And that was a regional thing. Well, when you make it, and that's like, you know, okay, yo, you know, you can't go in this neighborhood because the Cholos over here got a problem with Cube, or the Cholos can't go over here because they, because Be Real got a problem with Cube, or whatever, or Cube got a problem with Cypress Hill, vice versa. But that East Coast, West Coast shit was some crazy shit. Motherfuckers were getting their asses beat, dudes were getting pistol whipped, 
dude got shot in Atlanta behind that bullshit. Do you all know that when when that shit was going on, that and when I was when I was in Atlanta, I was going to school there. Do you know that you went to certain parties? DJs would get fucked up if they played Biggie. Believe it or not. These coast motherfuckers are like pop, whatever, you know. It should I, you know what I'm saying? You got a problem with Biggie, you know, bro. It wasn't until Hit Him Up came out with him and and Dog Pound and all that bullshit with New York, New York. And it's another story behind it. I can't get into it. I don't know if verbatim, but when it went down. But when motherfuckers from the East Coast started getting a little like, hey, look, man. Pop, you know, hey, you do what you got to do. Hey, fuck it. We love Biggie, but you get your start over here. You know, you, you shot juice over here. You know, you got, you, you down with naughty by nature. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, you, 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 you're cool with a lot of motherfuckers. But motherfuckers from the West East Coast didn't really give too much of a fuck behind it. You know, Mary J out there fucking around with Biggie and shit. I mean, with Pop. Puff Daddy's baby mom out there fucking around with Pop. Faith fuck Pop. We know it. It is what it is. It was fucked up because what she did was help escalate some shit that could have got herself killed too. Excuse me, dumb bitch. But anyways, motherfuckers will get the shot behind this shit. You are a bold motherfucker to go out with. And even Biggie, you can go look at the video footage online. YouTube should have it still. When Biggie was called out to the West Coast for a show, he goes out there, and it's like a small little pool hall. He's performing and shit. Had his man, his DJ out there, I guess, and his driver. They're throwing quarters and nickels at him and shit. This is after he just so-called dissed uh, E-40. In some interview in Canada. So he 40 set up the show in a ghost way. And he 40's homeboys is out there ready to kill him in the parking lot. But somebody from E 40's crew, whatever, talked to one of one of the biggest boys and got him on the phone with E 40 and squashed the shit. Biggie never had to wear a fucking bulletproof vest. He never thought he had to because he always thought that everybody was going to love him regardless because he never said anything direct out toward Pac. And for all you California dudes, no disrespect, I don't want nobody threatening me behind this shit. But you all made more of a deal out of it. And I'm not saying, and I say you all, I'm not saying you people in particular, I'm just saying, but dudes out there really made us think about it. More than the dudes in the East Coast. How many times Pop went to the East Coast between 95 and 96 when he died? Probably a few times, I'm assuming. I know he went to the MTV Music Awards right before he passed away. Dog Pound's been out there. You know? And then he do hit him up. And he still went out east and nobody fucked with him. Listen to Snoop Dogg's version of when he went out there and, and decided to verbal slap Nas at MTV Music Awards. When Bob said, we ain't got no beef with you, we love you. Because they didn't give a shit. In hindsight, I think the niggas on the East Coast love Biggie more in death than they do when he was alive. That go for all those motherfuckers. Every last one of them. 
That goes for Nas. That goes for Meth. That goes for Jay-Z. That goes for Puff Daddy. That goes for Mary J. Blige. I can go all the way down the line. And the only reason, and the only dudes I felt that really fucked with Biggie like that in life and loved him that much, one of the only ones, and still fuck with him in death, is DJ fucking Premier. Funk Flex, I think, too. But other than that, you New York motherfuckers, as far as the artists, didn't really fucking feel him like that. If you're already done with that dude, you would have you checked Pac at the fucking front door. But you did not. None of you motherfuckers checked that shit on the East Coast. Until they came up there with that whole New York, New York shit. Then you got pissed off because you thought they were dissing New York. In actuality, Dog Pound was not in, in, in originally. When they dissed New York and cut down buildings and shit, then you got fucking mad. You all didn't give two shits about that fat fly motherfucker named Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Notorious B.I.G., a.k.a. Biggie, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, a.k.a. Frank White, a.k.a. Frank Nitty. And I'm not saying you're supposed to go off on Pac back then just because, but none of you all checked him. Only in death do you all respect Biggie like that. And I got to go back and look at life after death because I, I think Foxy Brown was like, I'm, I'm not sure. I can't really question her like that because by the time Biggie had died, she had only been in the game for less than a year. So I can't question her. Plus she was like 16 years old, 17 when she dropped the first album, I think. I know dudes from back east in New York, Jersey, Philly, the whole tri-state, quad-state area, whatever, who play Pac almost every other day. And I know some dudes from down south that love Biggie. As music fans, we allowed these two individuals to help destroy each other. They didn't shoot each other. The powers that be, whoever the fuck they, I don't know, but whoever took them out. I'll be back in a moment. I got to take an intermission break. And when I come back, I'm going to give you all my final analysis on the life of Notorious B.I.G. Even though 314, we didn't really get to talk much about hip-hop because he's an older guy, so therefore his whole mentality is a little different. And he sees things more of a of a world glass like I do on certain things. So we really couldn't get into the logistics because he wasn't there like I was. He's always walking the call back, and he's a very wisdom-oriented dude. But um, we're going to get back into this. And I'm going to give you my thoughts, my parting thoughts. Because the was fucked up. I blame the fucking man. I'm just trying to 
told everybody we got the war to get back at you. Last nine and a half minutes or so, I'm gonna give you my final out. On the life and death. I left the last segment by saying that I blame the fans. Because if the fans don't want something, the industry will pick up on it. They will. They will pick up on it. They will say, this is not good for business. But back then, they didn't give a fuck. And neither did you, the fans. When I told so many of you that this East Coast, West Coast bullshit was not going to end well, I didn't think it would be Biggie that was shot. No, I take it back. I didn't think it would be Pac that was shot. Not saying that Christopher Wallace was an angel in his last days on earth or before that. But he didn't shoot anybody. He didn't stab anybody. He didn't go out and incite riots and shit. He didn't go out and recruit gang members to roll with. He trusted the wrong fucking people. And he trusted you, the fans. And all of you let him down. You let Tupac down by allowing the industry to escalate such a horrendous, a horrendous cancer on hip-hop. Steve Lois Tucker tried to warn us back then. We didn't want to listen to her. I put myself in that. I was like, look, I'm not fucking with death row like that, but they can say what the fuck they want to say. Well, I'll go after the music industry. But what she was trying to tell you, the more you call yourself bitch, hoe, real nigga, this, that, you become that. And that's not just what black America has become. America as a whole, the youth, have become that. Their music stands the test of time. But their ashes are gone. You allow people to tell you who to cheer for, who not to cheer for. MTV, I blame you. Vibe Magazine, I blame you. I blame the fans and the people around these two geniuses. They could not show the world what they were all about. What they could have done, the difference they could have made to the industry. They had to be taken down because of the fact that they wanted to see black people to be marginal black people and other people marginalized looked at as being sexual beings make money off violence <coughs> excuse me because <coughs> even the movies in the late 50s and 60s when they found out that people gravitated toward sex and violence in movies, particularly when the Dirty Harrys and things like that came out, the Superfly and all of that, they knew they could get a certain amount, a certain part of the public to follow that. They knew it was lucrative. They knew the Cosby Show was lucrative too. But what followed the Cosby Show and what followed a different world? Let's go back and look at 
and or not matter of fact, living single. Even New York Undercover was a good show. Look at what preceded those shows. Look what happens when people like Bill Cosby try to tell black people how to live. Not how to live, but how to make it easy for yourself in society. They don't want that. Whoever shot Pop did not want him to tell black people, indigenous people, how to live, how to be successful, how not to be intimidated and abused. And most importantly, how to be used as sheeple. The notorious B.I.G. died because someone didn't like what he was saying or died of a setup to make Tupac's death look authentic, like it had something to do with an East Coast, West Coast rival. I love them both. Biggie is my favorite out of the two. Not because I'm taking sides, but because I've never been a Tupac fan. I never really was. He had certain cuts I liked, certain songs he liked. I liked him more so on certain tracks because he had the verbal ability and swagger to fuck with any other idiot, any any track someone put forth to him. But there'll never be any of these two characters, no one like them. And you brothers out here, talk about how real Pop was. Are you talking about he was real because of the fact that he dissed Biggie and fucked his wife? That was real? Or was he real because in interviews and other um, outlets, he spoke about black people and people of indigenous, uh, or indigenous people, rather, that you're being used and abused? No. You all look at Pac as the agitator, not as Pac as the intellectual. Some of you do, but most don't. And tomorrow, March 9th, just remember the man, one of the greatest. And another thing, NWA Flick comes out this summer. They're releasing that shit in one of the hottest months of the year. Just like they did Minister Society, just like they did Colors before that, just like they did Boys in the Hood after that. And other movies that I call black exploitation flips. Because the NWA movie is never going to tell the whole 100% truth over on the whole organization, Ruthless Records, and thereafter. We all know that. You're also introducing a movie like that to a young generation of people who were not around and not know what the fuck was going on. And it's going to be hot outside. So what's going to happen? You already know what's going to happen. Same thing that these brothers would not have wanted in the first place. Violence. Short, short, shorts on dudes. Out of the movie theater watching them. Dudes fighting over chicks at the movie theater. Because they're full of weed and alcohol before they go see it. Not knowing exactly what went on in the Ruthless Records organization or the NWA group itself. With that being said, on this day, March 8th, 
the eve of the death of the notorious B.I.G. Do us all a favor. Enjoy his music. Enjoy Pac's music. Enjoy Jam Master J as a DJ for Run DMC. Enjoy ODB. Enjoy Aaliyah. Enjoy Lisa Left Out Lopez. Enjoy the old music of Lost Boys or Freaky Todd. Remember people like Gorilla Black and others, Mac Dre, people from the screwed up clique who died, who are not here to see their success. DJ Screwed, everyone else, Eze, who have been dead 20 years this year. Enjoy their music and learn from their consequences that led them to their grave. This is Nugandi Watergate with the Hurtful Truth with Nugandi. I'm hoping that you will tune in on Thursday. I'm not sure what the conversation is going to be, but I guess it's going to be more than likely going to be something that is going to make or it's going to have some sort of relevance to today's society. Good night.